Well, Pat O'Brien, all the way from Ardskia. How do you pronounce that? Well, we go with Ardski. Ardski. Yeah. The high the height of the, the white thorn bush. I, when, I, yeah. In reading your book, okay, um, and I stayed up practically all night last night going through it, and I I took a few notes, and one of them was how the arch, how the, the shka uh, impacted on your dad as against you. You saw a, a beauty in the changing face of the of the thorn bush, right? Very your true, dad Anna. saw it as a blooming weed that had yeah, to be removed yeah. every so often. It was a perpetual struggle with the, the white thorn bush and the forest bush. Yeah. And I think he... he Rearing a family of nine, it was something like a therapy going out late in the evening, and uh, maybe there was easier ways that he could have got rid of it. But he seemed to enjoy the the physical aspect of of, of actually clearing the bush. Pat, you are more more recently become famous for the production, the writing, and the production of a fabulous piece of literary work, uh, the the history of. The, the title, A History of Broadford Parish, County Clare, the civil parishes of uh, Kilsiley and Kilkenny, 1800 to 1850. It's a very large production and well worth buying. I'm sorry, speaking to the listeners now at this stage, really well worth buying. Um, unfortunately, it's out of print at the moment and it'll be on the way, will it? No, well, I... I think we did 300 copies hardback and it was very expensive to produce because we decided to do a, a, as good a product as we, as we could manage. Yeah. And to be honest, John, I was surprised with the response. I would have uh, printed more if I had um, anticipated uh, the response. Yeah. You know, but you're talking about a period 1800 to 1850. Why did you pick that period? Because... Uh, the history of Broadford, reminding our listeners of it again. Yeah, because... I. I, I suppose I grew up in, in a very much an oral culture in, in the 1950s in Broadford. And um, all around me, there were reminders of the past. And most of those reminders went back into the 19th century. OK, you had the middle field where the first county final was played. And what, what did you call it? Uh, the middle. The uh, middle field. Uh, Derham Mill was situated in on one of the only really flat fields in the parish. <laughs> and there's a, a natural embankment of a hill beside it. Yeah. So that's where the, uh, the very first tournament games of the GEA were played, including the first county final. Um, and incidentally, we're all celebrating Owen Gunning's fabulous performance this week. It was actually um, a clansman of the Gunnings, Willem Gunning, who refereed the first county final in the middle field in 1887. Yeah. And William actually was the first Clareman to win an All-Ireland uh, medal. Uh, but he won it playing football with the commercials of Limerick, yeah, in, Limerick yeah. again in 1887. Yeah. We haven't seen a football since, as I said to somebody. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, so Pat, Pat, there's none of this in this book because you stop in 1850. Yeah. Um, Before, why did you decide to stop in 1850? Because, again, we'll say, David, uh, it, it fascinated me that period. 1800, you had... We started 1800. Virtually nobody's... No local's name was actually written down for that period. They were unrecorded. Yet there were 6,000 people plus living there in the parish at that time. OK, the elite, the men, members of the landed gentry and, and the clergy were recorded. But you had this huge mass of of men, women and children whose lives were completely lost. And also, you had no Catholic church. By 1853, 
you had no police barrack, you had no policing, yeah, and that, all of those changes came. That's amazing. So it, it, there's a period of significant change happening in Broadford. Uh, let's just take the Catholic Church situation. None in 1800 for 6,000 people. No. By 1850, the population... Ha- had risen, David, to... Eight, by 1841, the population had, written, had risen to 8,200 people. So you had 8,200 people living there in 22,000 acres of land. Geographically, it's quite a big parish. Yeah. But even though uh, most uh, most people today only live along the valley floor, mm. but if you were to step back into time, back into the mid nineteenth century, all of the hillsides were occupied by uh, very small people with very small plots of land. Yeah. And of course, when the famine struck, um, that meant decimation. So that uh, in eighteen fifty one, we had dropped to a, uh, a population of, of 4,200, right. a drop of 4,000 people. That's significant yeah. from 8,000, so that, that's is. 50% of a drop. Pretty severe in so in Broadford. Probably one of the highest in the country. Really? Yeah. Per uh, capita? Per capita, yeah. it was absolutely yeah. decimation. How, how, why is the question? Because, uh, for a variety of reasons. Firstly, the population had maybe increased uh, with, almost without control. And it had, 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 had not alone had it risen within the, the, the very cultivatable uh, areas of land, but it extended in, in what a uh, process they call colonisation, where people went out onto the hillsides, cleared the land of heather. All it took was an, an acre of land to rear one specific family with potatoes. Yeah. And then when blight struck and the response was so poor from the authorities, uh, they were the areas... High, highland areas that were actually decimated. Yeah. So then the poorest the, section of the, society. The poorest. Uh, mm-hmm. So then you had uh, a loss of four thousand people either through debt, mig- immigration, migration, or we'll say movement uh, yeah. to, to the workhouse. So that's why I cut it in in 1850. This makes a logical it, it, a logical stopping point. It, it was a logical. Pat, people mightn't be aware uh, that there were Baptists in um, in Broadford, and I'm reading here your chapter on religion. Stephen Ryan, a native yeah. of County Clare, preached in Irish, and he was yeah. a Baptist, one of the most active you. Well, actually, argued. David, what I found fascinating is I grew up in, uh, we'll say, uh, maybe a modern Catholic Ireland where society was controlled very much by the Catholic Church. And I, when I started the research, that was the perception I had that that was what life was always like in Broadford. But it's only when I went back and doing my research I found it was multi-layered. You had the Church of Ireland, hugely important church locally. They contributed enormously. They had the local uh, Protestant church. They were also, they had the vestry. They were in, uh, involved in uh, relief of destitution. So, and you also had, as you mentioned, the Baptists. They were making wonderful inroads, if wonderful is the word to describe it, into the local population for a long time because they implied uh, Preachers who were able to speak in the vernacular language were able to speak Irish to the locals. Yeah. And, of course, the Catholic clergy reacted violently and aggressively when they saw the progress being made and eventually they were squeezed out. Yeah. Squeezed out and, of course, it's probably one of the arguments why you have three Catholic churches it as is, well. Yes, yes. Uh, pa- Pat, uh, you have, your language is beautiful in, in, in both orally and, and uh, written-wise. Thank you, John. Um, and you say in the book you explore the social, cultural and economic life. And you say, I hope to break the great silence. I love that expression. Uh, You you say, and by the way, 
if you've just, as a listener, joined us, we're talking to Pat O'Brien, uh, author of the recently published history of Broadford and the surrounding area. But anyway, uh, you say the silence left by the generations. That is, and that is very much what you've done in this book. You've broken the silence. And that silence can be heard. That's like a contradiction. The silence can be heard in parish after parish across the country, waiting all the time for men like yourself to appear out on the scene to open the door. Where were the sources? Because without them, you were going nowhere. Yeah, and I could, if I could add to that, uh, you know, we, we, the radio here, we cover um, about 10 parishes. And whereas your book is obviously about Broadford, but I would imagine similar things would apply to most parishes in East Clare. Yes, so, agreed. And yeah. to go back on John's point firstly about the Great Silence, like if you go back into Broadford, and you, you all know it very well, um, whoever won a junior uh, game, a hurling match or whatever, will be chronicled maybe even in song uh, and recalled. But here was a period where I was just going back in my own family and if you go back far enough, it branched out into McNamara's or Connell's, Duggan's and so many other, other, other names. And yet, apart from the names maybe being written down on the parish register, virtually nothing at all um, was known about them. And so my research really started prompted by that great local historian from, from uh, Killaloo, Sean Kears. Yes. After a union meeting one night here in Scarif, he took us uh, for a half an hour and he took us through the, uh, some of the available sources. Most people wanted to get to Mike Max to have a, have a quick <laughs> glass or something, but uh, I was I- intrigued because he actually gave me leads from my own parish. And we say my research has gone on over decades far too long, you might say. I'd say almost 40, 40 years of, of research. I'm not saying if I had put my mind to it that it, it would have taken that length of time, but I'm inclined to work incrementally, do a little here and a little bit here and there. And as a new source became available, uh, I added to it. So what I found, and the same applies, be it for Feek, Lockhelms, Middle, Scarab, any of the other local parishes, there's an incredible amount of material out, uh, out there or in, in the repositories or in, and the libraries in Dublin and elsewhere that's available for our local parishes. So what I, you see, again, if you take in Broadford by 1850, uh, we had three police barracks, one in Caban, one in Broadford and one to control the Broadford-Limerick Road in, at, at Kilmore. Uh, yeah. burned out yes. uh, during the Civil War. So again, there was a lot of papers going back to Dublin Castle and, uh, you know, reporting on what conditions were like on there was uh, government commissions and what were hugely important were the newspapers. Mm-hmm. Because of the situation of, Bro- of Broadford, actually the most valuable paper was the Limerick Chronicle because Broadford was only, uh, the parish only started four or five miles north of Limerick City. So whatever happened in Broadford was very much documented for those 50 years in the Limerick Chronicle. Also in the, the Clare Journal, naturally in Innes, it covered Broadford. And so did the Tipperary Papers. So it's, um, uh, to summarise John uh, and, and Jim, is that there's a wealth of information. I would actually say maybe more for Broadford than for most parishes. Because again, the great landlords of um, Glenomra were the Arthur family. Mm. And fortunately, thanks to the work of um, um, Mr. McLeisett, 
when he was with the Irish Manuscript Commission, he managed to rescue all of the Glenomra estate papers. And they are currently in the National Library in Dublin. And I remember when I went, and there was only a, a two-line entry about the, the, the Arthur papers, the Glenomra papers, and I looked, I put in my call number and sent off for them. And they were a long time gone. And suddenly the porters are, uh, the, uh, arrived back carrying enormous metal boxes of original deeds and leases and rentals all relating to the Glenomra, the Arthur estate in Kilban during the period 1820 to 1850. You know, you, know the, um, uh, you, you, you concentrated in, at one section on the town lands and the place names yeah. and what have you. This is a great silence that has been opened. You have fabulous, uh, I'm, some of it quite, quite funny. There was a, uh, a hole of the pigs, Paul Namukka, that was on your land. That was and, right. And you, you, you say, you tell us that you came in for a fair amount of, of, of uh, banter from your well, classmates. Well, I did. As I said, John, some of them never really seemed to pay a huge amount of interest to in the Irish language, but yeah. they were all very well able to do a literal translation, translation of Paul Namukka. Yeah. And if a row started in the yard or whatever, one was advised maybe not so uh, politically correctly as there yeah. might be today yeah. about... You looked after it. <laughs> oh, well, you, you, you argued your corner. But, <laughs> uh, and I think Paul Namukka referred to the wild boar of uh, of Celtic times and you see even though the book is specifically covering the period 1800 to 1850 I have brought in as much material extra as I possibly could yeah. especially relating John to folklore Bradford had a very rich folklore and going back again asking how did I become involved in it as I said I grew up in in in, in um, a parish where it was the oral language was still um, so important Unlike today, even when I was waiting here, I'm checking something online on my phone. That's just the way we're now gone. Yeah. But at that stage, maybe it was Sonny Farrell from Drummond, Chris Kaler from uh, Killorn, the two Larkins from Clongaheen. What a lovely name again. They were people calling uh, of an evening, telling stories. And they were talking about things that were um, in, the, in my landscape. They were speaking about the, the slate quarries. They were speaking about the middle field. They were talking about the great witch of Broadford, yes. the Pitatai Wee. wee. Yeah. So I went back and included as much of that material, and I found the school folklore surveys. The 37. Are, yes, which are accessible yeah. to yeah. everyone online as absolutely yeah. uh, invaluable also. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, Pat, the, um, uh, the poverty... You talked already about the poverty. Um, well, the hedge school comes up. The oh, my wife asked me, please ask Pat. One difficult question. <laughs> no, no, no. Good no, job, no. good job, you thought. <laughs> it was indeed. Yeah, uh, she said, ask him. He writes about the role of women. Yes, and uh, uh, this interested her particularly. Well, so as you can see, John, I tried to cover every possible area, and. I, I was intrigued listening to your previous interviewee there yeah. and her interest in sport and how she's, trying, she's promoting sport am, uh, among girls and so on. And I was conscious that we'd say girls and women were very much written out of, 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 of Irish history. So wherever I got the opportunity, uh, I, I documented what women contributed. And actually, the book is dedicated to a number of women from Broadford who rebelled against the regime in the workhouse 
uh, and um, were thrown out of the workhouse because they were dissatisfied. They were both brought with ladies and they were dissatisfied. Um, the, lady, the women in, in, in the workhouse were dissatisfied with the, the diet, the absolute spartan food that they were be give, being given and they were taken to the local court and thrown from, out from the, the workhouse, which in effect was... Uh, a, a sentence to death. Indeed. So that's one instance you can tell your wife where I was. I will. An opportunity <laughs> of, of promoting the, the, the women's cause. The second one was, um, did you ever hear of Blackguards Valley? No. You didn't? No. Not in Bradford, surely. No. And even, Wait, if uh, I, even if I did, John, I'd say I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> now, did you ever meet Sonny Walsh? I did, in Bodike. Yeah. In, up on the... In, and we were leaning against the wall Sonny and myself chatting one day and he said John look out there now and he's looking towards Kilban across, yeah. across the mountain do you know that's called Blackguards Valley mm -hmm. maybe, maybe there was a rising from a hurling match there was a day <laughs> or something <laughs> no there were, also, there were there were some fine young sheep oh, yeah. reared in Black, Blackguards Oh, yes, the valley. Yes, 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 yes. And uh, the Kilbans, yeah. and to the period you were writing about too, and later, the Kilbans, uh, they uh, had a Kilban, is, uh, for the listeners, it's it's part of the area. A suburb of Broadford. A suburb of Broadford. <laughs> no, they wouldn't, they wouldn't accept that. No. <laughs> <laughs> Not after a week in which one of their fa favourite sons is after leading Claire to the minor. Absolutely. <laughs> but anyway, they, they had this. A tendency to come across the valley, yeah. the, the hill and the valley, steal the sheep, and they had a, a track that crossed water, but they had stones very judiciously placed so that if you knew the route, you could outrun the the, the locals. The locals, and yeah. they went on for quite a number. Of, that's Blackguards Valley. Valley, yes, and that's the name. Yeah. So, so yeah. my wife also wanted to hear about that. <laughs> I was just thinking this morning, and this has nothing to do with Broadford, but there was a piece on, I, I, I skimmed through it this morning on the RT website, and it was kind of a review of different travel writers in this period of the, yes. the first half of the 19th century. But they were very, um, they, were, they, they castigated local people, local Irish people. Yeah. Because one guy said, and you can read it maybe later on, despite having an enlightened government, uh, being the government yeah. in London, uh, the, the a lot of the Irish people are living squalid poverty, um, take to drink, and fighting. I mean, the, the, it yeah. just struck me. I, I you know, you you feel you sore were. about yeah. it of of the, being looked at like that. And agreed. And what what I I found great, Jim, was actually getting the alternate view viewpoint. Actually, coming across the source material that was documented documenting what life was like actually for the local because you're right it was the elite coming in uh, educated to a higher standard than the local or whatever looking down their nose at the at the at the ordinary irish person in 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 the very modest house modest because the money was never circulated to allow them to improve themselves or whatever you know but um then there was also some very entertaining uh, travel writers that came in and one of my favorite descriptions was about the, uh, a visitor who came to the Holy Well in East Clare. And he's the Holy Wells were hugely important in Broadford and, and throughout East Clare before the foundation of, of, of the 
um, the development of the Catholic churches. Once the churches were built, the priests wanted the people in to contribute their pennies, to contribute money to the church. But before that, we'll say the holy wells were the, the places where the Passion Days were on. And one description, uh, it described the man early in the morning going around on his knees, uh, beseeching God for forgiveness. And he looked really um, like a, a penitent. And later the whiskey seller came and this penitent imbibed and had a, had a few beers. And uh, the writer remarked on the person who was on his knees that, 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 that morning beseeching God for forgiveness was doing a jig around the well as if he had the care in, out, of, out of fear of an almighty in the world. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, yeah. so you can get nuggets from within them. You know what I mean? But, um, yeah. And two, two genuine yeah. cases of the same person. Yes. You know, yes, both, yes, yes. both were genuine. Which can happen to any of us if we over in Bible. But I'm not sure. I'm sure not to you. Can I? Pat? Yeah. Um, we're closing the yeah. door on the silence. But by golly, you opened it beautifully for us. Thank can, you, man. Can, can I ask you, and we're, we're nearly, I'd say we have the last, this is the last question I'm told. Uh, <laughs> what, I know that the, the, all the books have sold out and that speaks for itself. Um, what has been the reaction, you know, in, from, from ordinary people and what areas have they been um, interested in? The reaction has been, has fascinated me. Uh, it, it went from people... Uh, that has, have said they have read the book two and three times to being told last Sunday night, uh, I have your book, I haven't opened it yet. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so you have all these variety of reactions. But can I say one thing? Uh, uh, during COVID, an awful lot of young people in Broadford began to explore their own landscape, and Broadford's a fantastic landscape. And they walked the places that are mentioned here, like the Enchanted Lake, long before I wrote about it. They were exploring the Mass Rock in Huddlestown. And what really fascinated me was, when uh, I, I launched the book, and I'm sure you noticed that on the day, Jim, the amount of young people, because we're always saying young people are not interested, they're not interested in their heritage, they're not interested in their culture. But I, it's the opposite I found. They were the people who wanted to know more about the ruins outside the Dune, which was the, the Butler House, the uh, Dune House. They wanted to know about Violet Hill House, the Going House, Glenomra, the Artus. They wanted to know more about the Enchanted Lake, the Peter Taibui, and so on. And that, to me, was very reassuring, that you have a, a young group growing up, and hopefully even the individual who hasn't opened it yet will get around <laughs> to, 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 to the ocean. And it's there... I am not saying, uh, and I don't want to, to, to say too much now because I know you want to finish with this, with this segment, but I am not saying that I am the only person in Broadford with a, with a core of, of information. I am the one who put this down on, on print and hopefully others will add their own stories, be it uh, written or, um, or, or oral or whatever, that it's, and that everybody's a local historian. We all went to school, we all have stories to tell, we all play games, we all have our own stories to tell. And sometimes we're inclined to make it elite. Oh, he's the local historian, don't bother me. But I just think that all of this is, is a contribution. It's there for the mm -hmm. next generation. Please, God, when I'm gone, they can even find fault with it and say, he got this right or that right, or he failed to mention this or failed to mention that. But it, it's... It keeps the story going. It keeps the story yeah. going. I'm, yeah. I'm begging the last question then. Yeah. You, you got the second last one. Okay. Okay, when you're writing about the uh, cures, yeah. okay, the, particularly the herbal cures, yes. I said I must remind him that my aunt, grand aunt, 
had the cure for thrush. Yes, exactly. And I looked yep. at the 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 the, the, the folklore associated with yep. it down in your yeah. path. But I saw her actually operate one a day of the three day calls. That's brilliant to breathe out the cross. Yeah. And John, I think that's a whole. Uh, that's a fascinating area, and yeah. uh, hopefully somebody will touch uh, will cover all of that in East Clare, not just my seg- segment. Yeah. That, that you had the actual. Cures that were based on some medical um, formula. And yeah. then you had the cures based on nothing other than superstition. Superstition. Maybe under, to travel, uh, to walk under a grey, uh, uh, the, the head of a grey mare or something. Something that you couldn't see as having any tangible well, benefit. Well, I, I it's, saw... It's the, the folklore and... Yeah. Uh, I, saw, I saw another aunt of mine. This is all up in North Roscommon, yeah. okay? And uh, went on holidays there. There was a fairly constant uh, knock on the door of the the farm and people coming for a particular ivy that grew in the back garden of the farmyard. Yes. An ivy for uh, applying to eczema. And what I would love to know, John, is how did they develop, how did they learn all that information? My grand-aunt, my grand-aunt, who had the uh, cure for thrush, found out by virtue of a stranger calling one day, and asking her, would you cure my daughter? And my grand-aunt thought she was crazy. She thought, never heard of it, never never realised. She wasn't the seventh daughter of it, but she never saw her father. Her father, her father died in at the early stages. And whatever, I'll have to check it out again now, the, the actual uh, uh, <coughs> manifestations, how she, but it was a lady calling her, Telling her you have the cure, Brilliant. and she wasn't from the area at all. Brilliant. So there, Pat. Thank you, John. It's been. A, we, we'd have to come back. Sure, uh-huh. I mean we haven't. I mean, there's a, a rake of stuff here. Yeah. Uh, congratulations, Thank you. Pat O'Brien. Thank you. Family we know very, very well down through the years, and who has done us a great service by breaking the great silence that was so much part of the period you wrote about. Thank you very much. Thank you, you, Pat. Thank you very much.